Uh, we're going to look today, we're going to actually wrap up 1 Samuel today. We're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 29 through 31. We're also going to refer to 1 Chronicles chapter 10 verses 1 to 14. And the title of our lesson today as we go through our study of First and Second Samuel, First Chronicles, is the death of Saul. And so we're going to wrap up First Samuel, refer to a little bit of some verses in First Chronicles, which you're going to find are almost exactly like chapter 31, with a couple of minor details that are different. So Let's get right into it. Again, we're going to focus on really the end of Saul's kingship and David really becoming king. So we're going to talk really not just about Saul. Saul's going to be the focus of chapter 31, but chapter 29 and 30 are going to be about King David, who, if you remember, is in the land of the Philistines, who is in Ziklag. He's raiding the enemies of Israel telling the king of Gath that he is raiding southern Judah. And so we're going to find ourselves into an interesting situation uh, right now with regards to David. So let's get right into it. Now, again, there's lots of verses here. We're not going to read all of these verses. Rather, we're going to focus our attention on some different things as we go through, as we do our survey. So chapter 29, I really entitled it David's Quandary. You say, what's a quandary, George? Well, you could also say David's dilemma. So if you remember, David is in the land of the Philistines. He Remember, we saw that he was thinking and he said to himself, you know what, if I hang around here, King Saul's going to finally kill me. I'm going to go over to the Philistines. If I'm there, he's going to quit pursuing me. And of course, he went over to the Philistines. Saul quit pursuing him. And But now he's in a situation where he's serving the king of Gath. And so now we come to a dilemma because you and I know that the Philistines are the mortal enemies of Israel. So sooner or later, the Philistines are going to have a war with Israel. And that's exactly what we see that happens in chapter 28, is that the Philistines gather for war. So when we come to chapter 29... It begins with really the armies of the Philistines marched before their lords by the hundreds and thousands. So remember, there are five cities in Philistia. Each of those cities has a king or a lord. And so they gathered together at at Apec, and they basically wanted to see what their army looked like. So they marched out all of their armies Basically, each city presented their armies as part of the Philistine army, and they marched by hundreds and by thousands, really a big show of force, okay? A big show of force. Now, David and his men were a part of this. You're saying, what? David and his men marched with Ictish, the king of Gath, at the rear of his troops. So remember, David's there with 600 of his men, They're basically in Philistia like mercenaries, okay? So they march with Ictish, whom they serve, at the rear of his men. Now, when chapter 29 tells you that that really causes a stir, that really causes the lords of the Philistines to really wonder what in the world's going on. So the lords of the Philistines, that is the other four kings, 
question why these Hebrews were present with them. So they see David and his men at the rear of Ictish's troops and they're like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. What are these Hebrews doing here? We're getting ready to go fight Hebrews. Why are they numbered among our men? Okay. So Ictish defended David. So you'll see there he tells the lords of the Philistines, this is David, he's my servant. He defends David and his men. But the other lords demanded that David leave. So here's Ictish. He's, he's basically telling him, you know, he's a good man. He's been serving me. He's doing all these things. But the other lords are like, they're having none of it. They're like, no, no, he's got to leave. Now here's the reason why. They feared that David would turn on them in the heat of battle as they remembered the song. You're saying to yourself, what song did they remember? Well, don't you remember back a few chapters before that when David was gaining popularity in Israel? The Israelis would sing, Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. And so that song, which was very popular concerning David, made it all the way into Philistia. And they know this is the David of whom they sang. This is the David who has killed us. This guy, if he goes out the battle, in the midst of the battle, he's going to switch sides on us and fight for his own people. So they feared David would turn on him. So it's like, we need him out of here. We don't need him with us at all. We don't need him with us at all. And let's be honest. They have probably a little bit more sense than Ictish. Because you and I know that that's where David's heart is, is with Israel. And the chances are that if they had gone to battle, David probably would have turned on them. So Ictish goes to David and Ictish acknowledged that David had been an honorable servant since he came to them. You almost have to laugh when you read that in the scripture. He basically is telling David, David, you've been like an angel. You've been truthful with me. And we know from reading the text that that is not what David has been. David has been attacking all of these other folks who are the enemies of Israel, killing everybody to make sure that nobody can say that it was him. And he goes to Ictish and he says to Ictish, Oh, I've been attacking southern Judah, and I've been attacking the allies of Judah, and basically he's been lying the whole time. He's basically pulled the wool over Ictish's eyes, and Ictish is right now saying, hey, you're an honorable man. I know that you will do what's right, but we've got a problem here. We've got a problem. But he released David from his obligation to fight because the Lord's demanded it. So he said, look, you're not going to go fight with me. Go back to Ziklag. You go back there. You're released from your obligation to fight with me in this war. And it's because the Philistine lords demand it. So just be aware of it. Now, you're probably wondering, wow, David's probably breathing a sigh of relief. He's probably going, boy, I missed that problem. But David protested the decision. But Ictish told him to depart with his men in the morning. Now you're wondering, what in the world is going on? 
Actually, David's pretty wise. If David hadn't said anything, if David had said, okay, well, we're out of here, that probably would have raised suspicions with Ictish. But by protesting his honor and his integrity and his willingness to want to serve Ictish no matter what, it makes him look good to Ictish, but Ictish is saying to him, hey, you guys, in the morning, leave. And the text tells you that David and his men leave in the morning. So we come to the end of chapter 29. So chapter 30 now is going to focus again on David, but David coming back to Ziglag, but everything's not okay. So I've entitled this section, chapter 30, The Crisis at Ziglag. We're going to see that when David goes back, he's not just going back to his two wives, he's going back to a problem that threatens David. Okay, so let's, let's look at this together. So when we start off in chapter 30, the first few verses, when David and his men returned to Ziglag, they found the city had been attacked. They found the city had been attacked. So when they got back there, things are not normal. What they find is, is that the city has been attacked. The Amalekites, remember the Amalekites? We'll talk about them in a moment. The Amalekites had attacked and burned Ziglag, taking everyone prisoner. So what happens is the Amalekites, remember these are, these are not Philistines. These are ancient peoples who live in Canaan who are the mortal enemies of Israel ever since they were in the wandering from Egypt to go to Canaan. They attacked Israel along the way. And so remember, Samuel told Saul to wipe them out. That didn't happen, of course. Well, these same Amalekites have attacked Ziglag, burned it to the ground, taken everybody and everything there prisoner. Now, remember last week I said to you that there's something interesting that happened in archaeology here in the last year, and that is they think they finally found where Ziglag is. Based upon the proximity of all the other places that the text mentions, they think that they have found the ruins of this settlement. And as they've been doing their archaeological dig, they can dig down to the layer of when this place was once burned. They know it was at one time a Philistine city, then it becomes a Jewish city, which is the text, what it tells us. When it was given to David, it remained in the hands of the kings of Judah from that point on. But the point is, is that they have found Ziklag, and so we can tell that this story is correct because of archaeology. Isn't that amazing? I think that's an amazing thing for all of us. Now, here's what happens. When they go back, they find the place burned down, they find everybody's taken, all the stuff is taken. Well, David and his men wept aloud, and some spoke of stoning David. You can see where that happens. See, here's the thing about humanity. Whenever we have a problem, and you and I know this from our own lives, whenever we have a problem, we have to find somebody to blame. We have to pin it on somebody. That's just human nature. So here they come, they come, they find a city and their wives, their children, they're all gone, their animals, all of their, everything they had is gone. 
It's burned to a ground. They got to blame somebody. And of course, who they're going to blame? David, because David's the one who told him to leave Israel and to come to the Philistines. And of course, it went well for a while, but here they are. They've got a dilemma. They've lost everything. And so some of them are talking about stoning David. Now, what does that mean? They just want to throw a few rocks at him. No, you and I understand from the scripture, stoning means they want to kill David. They want to execute David. Okay. They want to execute him. Well, it's interesting because if you look at the text, okay, if you looked at the text, look at verse 6 of chapter 30, it says this, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of the people were grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. Then this last sentence says it all. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself. So what I want you to see here is that David strengthened himself in the Lord. He went to God. In the midst of the crisis, in the midst of what he's going through, trying to figure out what's happening here, he strengthens himself to seek the Lord. He strengthens himself to seek the Lord. So what does he do then? He asks Abathar, who is the late high priest's son, he's Ahimelech's son, to bring the ephod with him, to bring the ephod to him. Remember the ephod? That's the, the linen gown, the linen uh, breastplate issue that they would wear. He's saying, bring that to me. Why? Because that would be like, I'm going to go talk to the Lord. He's asking Abathar to do that for him. And so here's what David does. He asks the Lord if he should go after the Amalekites. So he just flat out says, God, do you want me to go after him? Now, all right, let's just stop for a moment. Did you notice how specific David's being about his prayer here? He didn't pray, God, give me back my wives and the wives and children of my men. He didn't do that. He's asking, God, do you want me to do this? He's being specific. He's not being general. In fact, if you look at the text, shall I overtake them? Shall I pursue them? He's asking specific things about what he needs to do. That's a lesson for you and I in there, isn't it? Be specific when you're talking to God about whatever it is that you're facing. Well, it says here that the Lord told David to pursue them and that all will be saved. Wow, wouldn't that give you confidence? The Lord says, yep, you go after them, you're going to overtake them, and you're going to defeat them, and you will get, get everything back. Nothing will be lost. Nothing will be lost. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? So the text then goes on and tells us that David pursued the Amalekites with his 600 men. So they, what do they do? They just got there, they load up, they're gone, they're going after him because that attack probably just happened recently, so they're going to pursue them to overtake them. So they're leaving. They probably didn't even have time to rest from the journey from where the Philistines were. They're on their way. So it says that when they came to the brook Bezor, 200 men stayed behind because they were weary. So when they get to this brook Bezor, 
they, they got 200 men who basically are saying to David, David, we can't do this. We're done. We're exhausted. We can't go any further. So David says, okay, you hang back. The other 400 of us are going to go. The other 400 of us are going to go. We're going to take care of it. Now, as they're journeying after the Amalekites, something interesting happens. They found an Egyptian and had him take David to the camp of the Amalekites. So as they're going along, the text tells you they find a guy who's basically been left for dead. It's an Egyptian. They give him water, find out who he is. Turns out he was a servant or a slave of the Amalekites. They left him for dead because he wasn't doing well. And so David says, will you take me to the Amalekites? Will you take me to them? to their camp. And the guy says, yes, if you will let me live. And of course they say, yeah, we'll let you live. You take us to them. And so that's what he did. He took David to the camp of the Amalekites. Now here's what they found. When they come to the camp of the Amalekites, they find the Amalekites partying. They found them celebrating what are they celebrating? They're celebrating the attack on Ziglag, the attack on the Philistine areas, and they're raiding into southern Judah. They're, a, they're basically a celebrating. They found them celebrating, and then they attack them until the next day. So the text tells you that it's kind of like maybe they caught them in the morning or something. They attacked them all that day into the evening and into the next day. They attacked the Malachites. Wow. They recovered. God gave them the victory. They recovered everyone and the goods and animals that had been taken. They got back. Nobody was lost. Everything had been recovered. Everyone had been recovered. All of their stuff, all of the animals. All their stuff and all of the animals. Now, the interesting thing, if you read the text, it tells you that David also claimed the spoil belonging to the Amalekites. So remember now, they've been raiding not just Ziglag, they've been raiding other areas of Philistia, they've also been raiding southern Judah, and as they're raiding, what are they doing? They're basically stealing stuff. So they're stealing animals and stuff and everything. So they've got not just the stuff from Ziglag, they have the stuff from all these other areas, and so David lays a claim to that and says, all of this is his. And you say, how can he do that? Folks, he's the leader. He's the one who's in control, and his men acknowledge that. Now, of course, he's going to split that with them, but he gets the major portion of it. He gets the major portion of it, and that's how they handle things. Now, when you get towards the end of chapter 30, it, you find another interesting exchange going on. So when they came to the 200 men left behind, some wicked men wouldn't share the spoil. So what happens is they, they get back to where the 200 men are waiting. Remember, they were weary. They were exhausted. David said, okay, you stay back here with the supplies. We'll go on. When they get back there, of course, they get their wives and their children, but some wicked men, remember, he's got some scoundrels with him as well. They're like, well, we're not going to share any of the spoil with them. They don't get anything. They get their children, and they can go on and depart from us because they weren't there for us when we had to do the battle. Okay? 
Now, it's interesting because the text tells you something here. It kind of tells you the character of David. David objected to their suggestion, and he established a new ordinance. In fact, the text tells you that it would be an ordinance from that day forward in Israel. He established a new ordinance. You say, what is that ordinance? Well, those who stayed behind with the supplies will share in the spoil with those who fought. Those who stayed with the supplies. So those 200 men, the ordinance would be because they stayed with the supplies, they would share the spoil with those who went and fought. And that would be from that point on an ordinance in all of Israel. David is establishing the way things are going to be from this point on. From this point on. It's amazing, isn't it? Then, the end of chapter 30, the last few verses, kind of tell you David's also wise and diplomatic. What do you mean? Well, he sent gifts of the spoil to the elders throughout southern Judah. So here's what he does. He's claimed all that spoil to himself. He's not just thinking about making himself rich here. That's not the issue. But rather what he does then is he sends the spoil throughout all of the cities of southern Judah and their allies, and he gives them gifts from him, saying that these were from their enemies. Isn't that wise? He's networking is how we would say it today, right, folks? He's networking. And we're going to see that this is going to benefit him, especially when we come to the beginning of 2 Samuel. So that ends chapter 30. So now we come to chapter 31, which is what the title of our lesson is about, the death of Saul and his sons. Remember, this was foretold to Saul by Samuel when he went to the medium to seek guidance. We see now that in chapter 31, as well as chapter 10 of 1 Chronicles, we see the issue of Saul's death. Doesn't spend much time here, just enough for you and I to know what's going on. And 1 Chronicles also adds something to the story. The chronicler tells us something. We'll look at that towards the end of our lesson. So let's get right into it. It starts off in verse 1, both in chapter 31 of 1 Samuel and in 1 Chronicles 10. It tells you that Israel fled before the Philistine attack and many died on Mount Gilboa. So right off the bat, at the beginning, it doesn't tell you very many details about the battle. It just tells you the battle's not going good and that Israel is on the run and there are many who have died on Mount Gilboa. It then tells you that the Philistines pursued Saul and his sons in battle and he killed the sons. That is, he killed three of Saul's sons. Three of them killed them, dead. The text goes on and tells you that Saul was severely wounded by archers and asked his armor bearer to kill him. Basically, what happens is, is that Saul has been hit by archers, he's wounded severely, he's dying. He's afraid, though, that he's not going to die soon enough and that the Philistines are going to be able to capture him. And when they capture him, 
He's afraid of being tortured alive. They're going to prolong his death in the most agonizing of ways. So he asks his armor bearer to run him through with a sword, kill me so that they don't have a chance to do this to me. You understand what he's asking. Well, here's the problem. The armor bearer was afraid and refused to do that. So Saul fell on his own sword. Saul fell on his own sword. So the armor bearer says, no way, I'm not doing that. He's scared. Saul then decides, okay, I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands. He falls on his own sword and dies. Now, I want you to remember this point. When we get to chapter 1 of 2 Samuel, somebody else is going to offer an, an alternative story. And that's going to be significant later. I want you to recognize that 1 Samuel 31 and second, first, excuse me, and first Chronicles chapter 10 are telling us that Saul took his own life. Okay? Saul took his own life. Now, when the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell on his own sword as well. Basically, he decides he's going to die as well. He's not going to allow himself to be captured and tortured by the Philistines. So he dies as well. Now, it tells you at that point then that when the Israelites saw the defeat of Israel and Saul's death, they fled their cities. Now, we already see that they're running anyhow. But when they see that the defeat is at hand, and then when they hear the word or see that Saul is dead, the king is dead, they flee their cities that they're in. Remember, they're in cities around Apec that they have taken, and they basically give them up to the Philistines. They fled to the, fled their cities. Now, it goes on, and it's very graphic in what happens here. The Philistines took the bodies of Saul and his sons and fastened them to a wall in their city. Basically, they removed their heads hung, and basically displayed their bodies as a tribute to their god their of their defeat over Israel and hung them on the wall. Basically, to rot on the wall is what's happening here. Well, the text goes on and tells you that when the word comes to Jabesh-Gilead, they decide to do something. So the men of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines did to Saul and his sons. Now, you're probably wondering, why is this important? Why Jabesh-Gilead? Because if you know where Jabesh-Gilead is, it is east of the Jordan. It's on the plains of the Jordan there, to the east of the Jordan. Remember, that was given to two and a half tribes by Moses in the land of the Amorites. Why is this significant? Well, if you remember, the very first battle that Saul fought that really signified his kingship was when he defeated the Ammonites who were trying to lay siege to Jabesh-Gilead and he came and rescued them. This is why it's important. And because of that, and because of the debt they owed to Saul, here's what they decided to do. They traveled through the night to get the bodies of Saul and his sons and bring them back to Jabesh-Gilead. Wow. Through the night they traveled, get into the Philistine city, 
break, take down their bodies in the middle of the night. This is daring. This is almost like you can't believe they're doing this. Then cart them all the way back to Jabesh Gilead, the bodies of Saul and his sons. The text goes on and tells you then they burned the bodies and buried their bones under a tamarisk tree. So they burned their bodies. They wouldn't have been in very much good condition anyhow, but they gathered their bones and they buried them under a tamarisk tree. Now, why is that important? Well, throughout 1 Samuel, whenever you see Saul sitting somewhere, where was he sitting, usually holding court? Under a tamarisk tree. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. Now, when you come to the last two verses of First Chronicles account, you're going to see that he presents something that the writer of First Samuel doesn't. He really gives his assessment of what's going on here. He's making a note. So the chronicler notes that Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he committed against the Lord. So the chronicler is telling you why Saul died this way. It was because of his unfaithfulness that he had committed against the Lord. And the chronicler then goes on and tells you what this unfaithfulness was. So here's what he did. Saul did not keep the word of the Lord and had consulted a medium for guidance. That's why he died. He didn't keep the word of the Lord. What word of the Lord? Remember, he was told to kill who? The Amalekites. The Amalekites. Isn't that interesting? And then he does the unthinkable, wants direction, and who does he consult? A medium who it was forbidden in the law to do. Interesting. So then the chronicler states that the Lord killed him and gave his kingdom to David. The Lord killed him and gave his kingdom to David. Wow. Folks, that brings us to the end of 1 Samuel. Next week, we're going to start off in chapters 1 and 2 of 2 Samuel. And we're going to see David rising to the kingship of Israel. First to the kingship of Judah, and then ultimately all of Israel. And you say that's an exciting thing, yes. But 2 Samuel is also filled with consequences. Consequences of the great king. And we're going to start looking at that next week.